You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hi, you guys, and welcome back to the show. Today is episode 31, and I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to Catherine. Catherine is a fellow sober sister who I met through the Sober Mom Squad. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you're probably thinking to yourself, good Lord, Jess, we get it. All of your guests are friends that you've made through Sober Mom Squad. (laughs) And look, I'm not going to argue with you there. A lot of if honestly not all of my closest connections have been through the programs or communities that I was brave enough to join. And if you're new to this whole sober curious community, I remember it can be pretty intimidating joining some of these groups. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, but what if there's someone in there that I know? What if my work finds out and they start making assumptions? What if my family members find out? What are they going to think? What if, what if, what if, but what if it helps? What if you start stringing together more sober days after you join? What if you meet people that are totally going through the same things that you are? What if you build relationships? What if you grow? I'm not here to pressure you to join a group or online program. I'm just here to share my own experience and let you know that for me, community and building relationships is what has undoubtedly got me to where I am today, which is almost three years without a single sip of alcohol. Now, did I have many day ones? Absolutely. But I learned from them. I leaned on my community for support and slowly but surely I was able to have my last day one. So, Back to Catherine. (laughs) Catherine. Catherine has been living an alcohol-free life since September 26, 2019. She holds a PhD in sociology and is a mental health services researcher with the goal of improving outcomes for young adults with serious mental health challenges. She is a mom to two young girls and co-parents with her ex-husband in the Boston area. Catherine is active in several sobriety support forums, a regular host in Sober Mom Squad, and is very passionate about helping women in recovery live their most authentic and joyful lives. You guys are going to love this chat. Catherine hits on a couple subjects that we've yet to talk about on this show. One of the big ones is divorce in recovery. I appreciated her vulnerability and honesty, and I really look forward to hearing what you guys think. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. It's Jess here with Decidedly Dry, and today I have my friend, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am super excited to chat with you and to hear your story. So thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm also kind of excited because a while back we decided we were kind of sober twins, right? That's right. We are. We are. 
We're very close. <laughs> well, we are going to jump right in. And I'd love for you just to tell listeners a little bit about yourself. So who you are, if you have kids, where you live, all that good stuff. Sure, sure. So um, I live in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and I am an assistant professor um, at a medical school here in Massachusetts. So I have a PhD in sociology, and I do mostly mental health services research, aiming to improve services and supports for young adults, especially with mental health conditions. So it's a very rewarding and um, needed area of research. I've got two girls. Um, my oldest will be 10 soon. So we're hitting double digits soon. And my youngest is about six and a half. Um, and I grew up in New England. Um, this is kind of where I live. I like going to the beach, doing stuff like that. So fun. Doesn't 10 feel like a crazy like number? For you? My son just turned 10 and I'm like, okay, he's, he's driving, he's going to college. Like that's it. <laughs> starting to count like down the summers, all that. Yeah. No, she, she said, somebody asked her the other day, how old are you? And she said almost 10. And I was like, Ugh. you are <laughs> record scratch. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, well now is kind of where we take the shift to, you know, the, the show's called decidedly dry. We're going to talk about alcohol. <laughs> so I would love for you to share, you know, kind of your history with alcohol when you started in kind of you know, when your relationship with alcohol started to shift? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long and winding road as it always is. Right. And so, um, growing up, I think a big part of my story is that, um, my family has alcoholism in it and my father and mother have now been sober for about 34 years. Wow. Yeah. And so, Growing up, I was about eight when my dad went and got treatment. And so I feel like my childhood is like when he was drinking and they were drinking and then post, you know, that. And um, he, you know, his story is his story to tell, but, but in brief, AA has been a huge part of his life and recovery and part of our family. And we definitely credit it with, with saving his life and our life for sure. You know, even 30 some years later, he's still very active in it. Um, but interestingly, you know, and I've never had this conversation with them, but I somehow viewed his alcoholism through a lens of deprivation. Like he couldn't drink, they couldn't, mm -hmm. drink, you know? And I think somewhere in me, I was like, well, damned if I'm not going to be able to drink, you know? And so, <laughs> um, going through, you know, high school and college and, and being, you know, your gawky teenage stage. And I was very tall. I am tall. And, um, I just, once I took my first sip of alcohol, I was like, Ooh, this feels good. And mm -hmm. I think it was, I adopted it as part of my persona, like the party girl. I hung with the boys. I could drink with the boys. Um, and my friends around me were drinking, but just, I, I think there was always a little bit of a difference in the way that they drank versus how I drank. Um, and you know, college was more of the same and I fell in with the partying crowd. And I've also, uh, shared you know like 90s pop late 90s pop culture right like this you drank to be cool like right. that's what the popular kids did you know there's like those rom-com movies like can't hardly wait and like everything else totally like, she's all that <laughs> yeah she's all that like it's just like the cool kids were drinking and I wanted to be cool who doesn't right, right. and uh so it kind of became my calling card if you will um and I, I also think, again, in 
retrospect, I think I was drinking to stay small. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, I slouch a lot. Like I literally physically try to, to stay small. And I think drinking just kept me small in a way and kept me Mm -hmm. unnoticed, um, numb, all those things, but it was normalized. So back to, you know, late nineties, early two thousands college moved, moved to Boston with a girlfriend. And we were, you know, wanting to live the Carrie Bradshaw life and sex in the city life Mm -hmm. and drinking Cosmos on a, you know, budget or income that did not support Cosmos, you know, (laughs) just like (laughs) pretending. And it was just, again, normative. And I would have awful hangovers. I've I've known famously among my many groups of friends as just having awful hangovers, but it didn't stop me. It just Mm -hmm. was like what you did. Um, you know, fast forward, I, I met my um, husband and same thing, drinking was a big part of our life. I mean, it, all the weddings you go to in your mid twenties and um, it just felt normal and accepted and it was nothing I ever questioned. I mean, I, I shouldn't say I never questioned it. I know there was a voice and there was constantly a voice and there were definitely some really sloppy nights where I was like, I don't know if that's, that's okay. Um, but I didn't, pause on them very long. I just kind of brushed them under the rug. Um, and then enter kids. And I know you've talked on your podcast and your writings about the mommy wine culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's the same group of women and or men that, you know, created the rom-coms of the late nineties, created sex in the city. And then yeah. we're like, all right, this generation keeps going. Let's what's next. Mommy wine culture. Mommy needs to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I knew, I mean, I was doing this for personal psychological reasons, but I think as a sociologist, I'm always thinking about like, what were the messages I was getting? And the messages were, this is how you survive motherhood. And motherhood was so hard for me. It was such Mm -hmm. a hard adjustment. And, um, you know, alcohol was the only thing that would kind of numb it. Um, And, but over time it was making it harder, you know? And so again, that little voice was kind of kind of chatting in the background and um you know I was struggling in my marriage I was struggling with motherhood I was struggling with my career the glass of wine at the end of the day was the easy button you know as as Glennon Doyle and her sister talk about it was like the release button Mm -hmm. and I think over time I realized it wasn't working anymore you know and it was like it wasn't taking the edge off it was actually I don't know. I, I was still anxious. I was still pissy. I was still, but then I was hung over in the morning and, and kind of bitchy to my kids and my husband. And I just was really, really unhappy. And again, the universal lines and some of the woo woo and, you know, <laughs> social media was part of my lifeline just in terms of getting through early years of motherhood. And, you know, there's some mommy blogs and I found um, Celeste Yvonne, mm-hmm. who we both know, and she was, I found an article that she wrote for like scary mommy. It was just about how she had stopped drinking alcohol and and just kind of questioning the mommy wine culture. And I was like, Oh, you can do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's a thing. Like a light bulb goes off. It's like, wait, (laughs) is this an option? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I was, I was increasingly drinking more. Absolutely. And, you know, I, God willing, I never had any horrendous, you know, rock bottoms. I definitely had some awful nights where I treated people that I love very much, not the way I want to treat them. Mm -hmm. And I regret that. Um, but like, it was like my tool, wine was my toolbox, but it wasn't doing what it needed to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was like summer of 2019, 
I just had this increasing suspicion, like maybe life would be better. Maybe this would be easier if I didn't have alcohol in my life. Um, and so, yeah, September, 2019, I kind of did a, it was like, you know, the faucet slowly trickled mm-hmm. down and I drank like only a couple times socially in the month of September, which was a big deal for me. Um, and I didn't drink a lot. Um, and then after one of those social nights drinking, I, mean, I don't think I drank that much, but I woke up feeling like crap and mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, it was just that, you know, thud on the head moment. And I was like, just stop just stop. It's not fun anymore. Just stop. And that was that. That was, that was September 26, 2019. Um, so I'll have three years and a couple months. Crazy, crazy. So much. So I was curious when you were talking about your story, did you have a shift from like, were you primarily a social drinker when you were drinking a lot? And then did you find a shift to drinking at home when you became a mom? I'm always curious. Cause that was for me. And a lot of people I talked to, they're like, you know, it just, it became different, like in different ways, you know? Yeah, I definitely think so for me, I think the turning point to maybe drinking alone was probably after college um, gotcha. because in college you're living with all your best friends. Right. And so somebody's always, you can always find somebody who's up for drinking. And, um, then when I moved to the Boston area with a girlfriend of mine, she loved drinking too. She's actually the one who introduced me to wine and it was a whole new world, but we, we lived in Boston. We didn't have a lot of friends, you know, like, gotcha. we just, and she had a boyfriend. So there was more nights where she would be out with a boyfriend and I would be home. And so what do you do when you're home alone? And you're like 22, you watch movies and you drink wine by yourself. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that for me, maybe was the turning. And then that became more normative. Um, so it was like, I don't need to go out to drink. I can just drink at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then increase, like my husband and I drank a lot together. Um, I remember when we were planning our wedding, we coined the term, um, it's a vodka day. You know, it's a vodka day. Cause like, it would just be a really stressful day. And like the beer or wine weren't making it happen. So like we carried that slogan in for many years. Like, oh, how was your day? Oh, it was a vodka day. A you vodka know, day. need that stronger. So then it'd be me and him sitting around drinking. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah. So then it was, it was a smooth transition to drinking at home with the babies that um, I think that was already in place for me. Yeah. And so you and I both got sober before the pandemic, which I don't want to say is not common, but a lot of the stories I hear, you know, drinking went way up the, it was a big increase in drinking during the pandemic. Did you find it easier to stay sober when you were kind of stuck at home? Did you feel it was still a big challenge? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think for me, it was a bit of a blessing. I mean, two things. One, um, we, I, when I stopped drinking, I never said this was forever. Like I just was like, I need to give it a month. And subconsciously there was this concept of, I remember saying to myself, I knew I wasn't being the mom I wanted to be. And I felt like if I, maybe if I stopped drinking, I could, I could be a better mom. And then part of my story is also related to my marriage. And part of me knew that my marriage was not in a good place. And I knew that if I wanted to navigate the outcome of whatever that would be, I needed to not be drinking. So those are my two, I'll say motivating factors. Let me see what this is like. And I think this might help with some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. So then enter the pandemic. And I remember early on in the pandemic, a friend of mine saying, well, you picked a hell of a time to stop drinking. <laughs> and I was like, actually I did. I picked yeah. a time because I 
I empathize so much with those stories about people that were stuck at home with their kids working, filling up the wine glass or your coffee mug or whatever. I mean, that would have been me 100% if I had not had those few months prior to Mm -hmm. kind of um, develop some of the muscles I needed to stay sober. And part of that was realizing that I I actually really enjoyed my kids company and they weren't these awful monsters and that um, they're pretty amazing and that it's just easier to parent. Parenting is hard, but it's way easier when you're not hungover and feeling miserable all the time Mm -hmm. or worried about where your drink is or that they're going to spill your glass of wine or or whatever it is. So, um, and I think what helped was it just, you know, our social life shut down. Not that we had a huge social life to begin with, but I think it, um, you know, it prevented me. It, yeah. I didn't have to go to a wedding for like a year and a half or two right. years. You know, like I didn't have to do like a bachelorette party or I didn't have this birthday party or that birthday party. So it wide, it, it narrowed my social world in a way that I think again, was really helpful for me to flex those early sobriety muscles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah and looking back, I mean, I, I agree. I felt the same way. Um, I was able to be present and enjoy my kids and just, just be, you know? And I think back like, oh my gosh, if I had been drinking through all of that, like probably all of the unsafe, you know, choices that I would have made, you know, let's walk to the store, let's go, you know, like it just, I I feel very grateful that I made the decision when I did. I'm sure you kind of feel the same. Yeah. Just be crazy. really, Really do. I mean, I think it would have been very easy for me to fall in that trap, but like I said, it was really hard for everybody in so many different ways. <laughs> and then to then be adding that layer of like stocking up on the wine or the booze right. or like, where am I going to get? Like I'm running low on my stash, you know, those kinds of thinking, but just again, the sloppiness, the hangovers, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just would not have been pretty. So you said enough is enough. And what were some of the tools in the beginning that really helped you stay sober? It's funny. Cause I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have since heard people encourage others to journal in those first few months and, and really just, just to kind of capture what they're thinking. But I think for me, I never said forever. So for me, it was just like, I'm just gonna keep doing this. And, mm-hmm. and again, I think it was kind of, and this is maybe what, what keeps me not drinking today is like, unless there's a really good reason to drink um, and, and I don't want to say it that way, but like, unless there's a value add to it, and I just have not found any value add to it to this day. And so, but as I was going, it was kind of that one day at a time, which I've always struggled with that term. Cause I felt like one day at a time meant like you were, you were holding on by your fingernails, like falling off the ledge and barely there. White knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, one day at a time. It's just like one day at a time. Like Mm -hmm. some days were easier and some weren't, but I, I, I didn't do anything. I just kind of, I have had a friend, I had a friend say to me recently that she's like, you've always just been that way that you decide something and you just do it. And I was like, Oh, you know, when somebody points out something to you and you're like, I, I guess so. <laughs> so there was just a bit of a drive there of just like, I'm not going to do this. And it just kept getting better. I, I, it's not all rainbows and butterflies by all means. I didn't even realize the like 
sober world existed on Instagram. Like I didn't necessarily know what Quitlet was. I, even with my, my family's history, I, I wasn't drawn to AA. I just was like, I'm not doing this. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I did start reading. I had some of Glennon Doyle's books, like her earlier books. And I remember I re- so I reread those and she's got a great chapter in one of her earlier books where she talks about early sobriety as like defrosting and like, mm. like it, it's going to hurt more at first. Like you go out, you get frostbite and then you come inside and you're like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you. Like, I'm going to feel better but it actually hurts more yeah. like your tips tingle. And it's like, why is this hurting? And then you feel better. And I, I remember where I was sitting when I read that and I was like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I was very weepy. I was struggling like my sleep. Um, I was emotional. Like it, again, it wasn't rainbows and butterflies, but I kind of just buckled down and did it. Um, and then even during the pandemic, I think is when I started maybe seeing that sober world on Instagram and, hearing about Laura McCowan and and starting to read a little bit more. Um, And then it was really about almost a full year into my sobriety where again, now we're like six months into the pandemic and I saw Celeste advertise sober mom squad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a thing. Like I just, yeah. And it was like, I didn't know what I was missing until I found it. Um, So Sometimes I feel like I white knuckled my way through the first year, but I do not recommend that. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I had found some of those sober connections and online communities sooner, I think that would have probably made it much easier. Yeah. Oh my gosh. First of all, God bless Glennon. That example. Oh my gosh. It's so true. I share it with so many people early on because it's, you think you're going to quit drinking and everything's going to be like, great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, no, this is still really hard. It's still really hard. I mean, three years later, it's still really hard. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Uh, more of a blessing. But there are times where I'm like, dang it, now I gotta feel my feelings. And dang it, now I've gotta figure out what what's under what's the underlying wound here, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I love I haven't had anybody mention it on the show yet, but just your example of or I guess it is kind of a tool of, you know, if I feel triggered, how will drinking make this better? You know, what is what is the benefit that I'm going to experience by drinking through this and that you haven't come up with anything, you know, like there, it really is not going to make, you know, this beautiful, you know, celebration better because then there's a chance of me forgetting it and feeling like crap the next morning, you know, like playing it forward and really thinking, how would this be better with alcohol? Yeah, I think that value add question has definitely been kind of running subconsciously through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, back to Glennon, I mean, her podcast, her and her sister, one of their earlier podcasts, um, uh, We Can Do Hard Things, they talked about drinking, they did an episode on drinking and um, her sister shared about how her decision to stop drinking. And again, she called it the easy button. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I, I don't think I knew that subconsciously, but Oftentimes when I felt the urge to drink, I don't love the word trigger, but the Mm -hmm. urge to drink, it was often like, ironically, it's like alcohol doesn't always taste very good, really, when you, when you boil it down, you know, so it was like almost like the burn in my throat. I kind of wanted, I just kind of wanted the, like the exhale Right. is really, and like I said, that was my tool. You know, I get home after working a full day, picking up the kids, I get home in that first glass of wine. Oh my God, you know? But it wasn't, you know, then it'd be another glass of wine and then I'd mm-hmm. feel like shit. And then 
So, I mean, I love me some mocktails. I've figured out like hot, hot showers. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, I had, it was last Tuesday. I had a very long day. I had to go into the office. I had to teach in person. Like I've been home for like two years. I just was like exhausted mm-hmm. and I came home and I remember being like, this is when a glass of wine would have been amazing. Instead, I took a really, really hot shower, like uncomfortably hot, but it had the same effect of like sting, burn, reset kind of that, um, and that I needed, you know, to get over that hump. It felt better and it passed. Done. Totally. Totally. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. Um, well, I'd love to talk to you if, if you're okay with it. Um, one of the things you mentioned, you know, before you removed alcohol was you, you had some concerns with your relationship. And I know since then, I know, cause I know you, but, um, you are divorced now and, um, whatever you want to share. Um, I'd love to kind of hear how sobriety kind of maybe opened your eyes a little bit more or helped or whatever, um, your relationship. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about it. And I haven't talked about it a lot in public. So, you know, I will, I will navigate as best I can, but um, yeah, my divorce was final just a few weeks ago. And um, so, you know, uh, let me preface this by marriage is hard and relationships are hard and you add in kids and it's hard and you add in a pandemic and it's hard. You add in building a business, going back to get a PhD, like all these things that my then husband and I were navigating. It's hard. And we navigated life in and out of therapy. We, we had a therapist we saw um, in and out. So like we weren't immune to the challenges and trying to better them. And a few years before I stopped drinking, I remember sitting in a session being like, I don't know if I want to be married to you anymore. It's really hard to say. It's really sure. hard to hear. And, but I was actively drinking. So like I had, I had the courage to say it, but then like the remedy for it felt like it was like more date nights. And, mm. you know, and like, I, I don't feel we ever fully circled back. And I think maybe I just started drinking more. Cause I was like, I said it, nothing changed. I'm stuck, you know, kind of thing. Um, anyways, fast forward, I was, I was drinking a lot and I just started to think about like, why am I drinking and what, what is it that I'm struggling with? And again, I, I really thought I was drinking to cope with parenthood. I really thought it was like, I, I just, I'm not cut out for this and I'm drinking because I, this is just the hardest thing I've ever done and I'm bad at it and drinking helps numb that away. But again, I, I know subconsciously it was, I mean, I really remember clearly having that thought, like I need to stop drinking to be a better mom and to see where this marriage is going. Um, and so I stopped and he wanted me to stop. He had stopped himself a few months prior just to kind of maybe give me permission or, or, or set up kind of a little bit of success there. And, um, but it just, when I stopped drinking, my intuition came flooding back. I think that's mm. the best way and the biggest way to describe it. That inner Catherine, that inner voice, the gut whatever you want to call it. I literally remember in January, 2020 feeling like I heard a voice that was just like, you need to leave him. And it was like startling. And it was like, I knew all along. And I think looking back, I knew when I married him and that's really hard to say, and it's really hard for him to hear. And it's not that I never loved him. I did love him and we built a beautiful life and we had two beautiful girls together, but he is not my person. Hmm. 
and I don't not his person. And I think, I think when I was drinking that just, I, maybe I was drinking too quiet that voice. I'm not sure. I was drinking for many reasons. So it's not just that, but I, once I stopped drinking, it was just a clear head and just like, I, again, I realized how much I actually love my kids and how mm -hmm. parenting was so much easier. And then it was like, I would look at my marriage and be like, oh, okay. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so, so to navigate that is really hard. And I, you know, early like sobriety, as I said, I didn't have a lot of tools necessary, but I was doing a little more self-exploration. I had a trip right before the pandemic where I was able to have some alone time. And I came back from that really realizing like, I, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. We had that conversation and then the pandemic hit full effect. <laughs> oh, the timing was, was less than ideal, but um, anyways, long story short is we tried, we used that time in the early pandemic to find a new therapist. And we were in agreement that the marriage wasn't working. I think he very much wanted to fix it. And um, I wasn't sure it was fixable, but I gave it a shot. And about six months later, I, I just really said, this is, this is not um, what I want for myself or my family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a therapist I was working with, I will say finding sober mom spot was a big, um, really helped me untangle some of that, like having some, again, this is why I think the connection is so important, having that um, space to untangle some of it and just talk about it. And I remember talking about it on one meeting and I think I was looking for advice. And then, and then I finished and the host, um, who's Jessica Landon, who I know you just had on was like, Catherine, I think, you know, what you need <laughs> to do, like, this wasn't, you don't need me to tell you. Yeah. That was huge. So I think long-winded way of saying, I think my intuition, my inner knowing, whatever you want to call it really came back and stayed, <laughs> just made its mm -hmm. presence known and continues to make its presence known. And I think I was numbing it for so long. And again, there were many reasons for my drinking, but I've heard people talk about um, in sobriety, wanting to create a life that you don't need to escape from, you know, and, and finding a way to build a life that is not only tolerable, I would say, but is beautiful. And drinking kept me small, drinking kept me small, drinking kept me thinking I didn't deserve better. I could never do that. It was all very scarcity, you know, negative kind of loop. And then once I stopped drinking, it was kind of like, wait a minute, hmm. you know, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do you think that you would have had the courage or the, the intuition would come back if you were still drinking? I really don't. I really don't think so. Um, you know, I, I worry about what it would have looked like again with the pandemic and everything. I can't, I can't imagine, but I think I would have settled. I would mm -hmm. have settled. I think what, what it's been really hard navigating my, my breakup, both with him and his family and my family and friends and, and, you know, is that um, outwardly there, there was not that broken. Mm -hmm. right? Like 
Like, I remember being like, oh my God, could you just cheat on me? It would be easier. I could just like point to a thing and be like, this is why we have to get divorced. And I essentially was standing up and saying, this marriage is not good enough. And any term like that, good enough, I don't think I ever would have been able to utter those words. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I think again, it was just, I was in a very limiting space, headspace and heart space. And so the courage to say, I think this is broken, even if everybody else thinks it's not, I don't think I would have been able to say that without sobriety. Yeah. Well, and so much of that is similar to, to alcohol, you know, from the outside, a lot of times, you know, it looks normal. Nobody, nobody would question it. Oh, Jess, you don't, you don't need to quit. You're a mom, you work hard, you know, and, and it's, it goes to show how powerful, like our gut is, you know, when you just have those questions, whether it be your use of alcohol, whether it be a relationship that might just be broken, you know, and listening to that takes a lot of courage to act on that. So I'm proud of you. Yeah. If I could just say one more thing about that, like for me, I think giving up alcohol was the the most, it's the biggest act of self-love that I've experienced. A, because culturally we're, we're told that we drink and this is what we do. So there's also this, you know, having to explain it and rationalize it to everybody and be like, what's the big deal? And, and, and giving it up is kind of saying it's a big deal for me, even if it's not a big deal for you. So I think for me, that was the biggest act of self-love and with that, and I'm still working on self-love and compassion and all of that, but like with that, I've been able to make more and more micro and major decisions out of that self-love. And I think the having those hard conversations and saying out loud, I'm, I'm, this marriage is no longer serving me and it is no longer good enough. Um, again, was a huge act of self love that I think with alcohol in my life, I wouldn't have been able to voice. Yeah. That's some powerful stuff, sis. Hey, love it. Um, tell me about motherhood in sobriety. I mean, still hard, but did you see, you know, what were the things that you noticed? I know the classics are, you know, oh, I was more patient. I'm present, you know, but like, did you truly find that like, Hey, I'm actually really enjoying this more now that I'm, I'm here. I'm not kind of using that easy button. Yeah. I mean, all of that. I mean, I think, um, so when I gave up drinking, let's see, my oldest was just about seven and my youngest was probably like four, just about four. And, um, I mean, I think first it's the little things. It's the little things that I think you notice first. It's the, you know, there's nothing pretty about getting everybody out of the house on time in the morning, right? <laughs> but like add a hangover to it or just like that short fuse or the anxiety. And I was a monster, monster, you know? And so again, still hard, mm-hmm. but I was very reactive when I was drinking. I was very you know, my reactions were very extreme and it's like, never has it ever worked for you to scream at your child to hurry up. Like they, they don't respond. No, but like I would keep doing it thinking all of a sudden <laughs> they were going to. And, and, you know, again, with the clarity that comes with, you know, without alcohol, it's like, try a different tactic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or, um, 
let's be a little more planful about the night before, you know, like what can we put ahead? You know, what can we put together ahead, you know, that we don't have to scramble for in the morning or, um, so I think it was like a lot of little things that added up over time, um, into the big things like, wow, mm -hmm. I'm present, you know, and, and Brene Brown, when she says, you know, you numb the bad, but you also numb the good. And I, right. you know, again, when I, when I stopped drinking, it was pretty much right before the holidays, but I remember we hosted Thanksgiving that year. It was the only year we ever did that. And all the other grownups, not that they were hungover, but they were just kind of like lazy on the couch and like, I'm outside with the kids. It was a beautiful day. I'm pushing them on the swing. We went for a little walk. And I just remember being like, whoa, like, look at me, mm -hmm. you know, like, look at me, but look at this, this is beautiful. And I, I would have just been like, I need to go take a nap or I would have right. been drinking or something like that. So it's definitely the little things and then the big things, um, of, you know, and having two girls is very important for me. I mean, to model not drinking and also to model not settling for a marriage that isn't, isn't working for you, mm -hmm. even though it blew up their lives, we're all happier for the better. And I think I've been able to show them that. Um, but even a couple of weeks ago, my oldest, she's very much like me and she had a very strong emotional reaction to something. And when I was drinking, she would, she would have some strong emotional reactions that I did not handle well. I did not handle well. And I'm not proud of the way I handled them. And she's outgrown some of that, but also I think our emotional connection is stronger. So it was in the evening and I was able to say, let's go upstairs, you know, and I was able to swoop her up. We went upstairs. It was hot. I found a room with air conditioning, you know, and I just said, just cry, cry. Clearly mm -hmm. you need to cry, you know, and I was just there and like, she just needed to cry. She did, I'll say overreact, but like she's a kid. <laughs> so I'm like, this is not about this. This is clearly something else. Let's get it out. So I was just able to be there for her mm -hmm. and not like berate her for it. Not like oh, suck it up. Not like worry about like my glass of wine is getting low. Can you hurry this up? You know, like just, I just was able to meet her with compassion and empathy and you know, I said something like, yeah, being nine is hard, huh? And she's like, yeah, it is. you know, like <laughs> I just, I just was there. And there was nowhere else to be. Yeah. There's nowhere else to be. And yeah. she needed me and she, she needs to know that if she needs me, I'm there. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I just want to say too, like, you are so not alone in the, the, how do I put it? I'm not proud of ways that I reacted as a parent in my drinking days too. I mean, never, never like a super bad thing, you know, but the yelling like that really hit me when you were talking about that, because when I say it to other moms, I'm like, you know, one of the things is, is I have not yelled at my kids in sobriety. And I think moms know what I'm talking about. Like I haven't really yelled because it doesn't work. <laughs> Like you said, it is not an effective way to communicate with them. Now, do I raise my voice? Do I snap? Like, do I, you know, yeah. I'm a snapper, big snapper, but you know, I don't really yell anymore. And I remember times that I did that, that I'm not proud of, you know, and, and we're always learning. I mean, like you said, motherhood is hard. Nobody's perfect, you yeah. know, but and you do what you, you, you do like what, you know, until you know better kind mm -hmm, of, and mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk hours about motherhood and the expectations of us and for um, sure yeah 
yeah and so much of it you just have to learn trial by fire and even exactly it's really, really hard totally all right my dear we hit some good stuff um i would love for you to tell me um i just got a few more questions um what's the most important thing in your life right now and i i always follow that up with it's okay you know we know you love your family we know you love your girls <laughs> all that good stuff but but what's like your focus right now what's important so I think it comes back to that self-love thing. If I, so, you know, again, I've learned this in sobriety circles, right? You get a word of the year, you know, when you, when the calendar changes over, like what's your word of the year? What is your goal for this year? That kind of stuff. And I declared for myself that 2022 is going to be the year that I fall in love with myself. And I've been reflective of that, you know, a little more than halfway through. And what that's looked like is, um, you know, reading, like a lot of reading and podcasts, but, you know, reading up on things like, you know, Kristen Neff's like self-compassion, um, exploring codependency and what it is and why and how, and um, just getting to know myself in a way, you know, cause people are like, oh, you're going to start dating. And I was like, you know, I have... I love being alone. <laughs> I love solitude. I love this self-exploration. And before I let another person know me, I feel like I need to know me because I think I lost what I lost while I was drinking was my authenticity. Like I just mm. was shape-shifting. I was trying to stay small. I was following everybody else's lead. I was doing what they expected of me. I, I was not leading my life from where I wanted to be. And so I think for me, it's been about peeling back the layers and figuring out who I am, but loving that too. I think, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in a marriage that's, that's disintegrating, there are a lot of hurtful things that are said both ways. And I was feeling very unlovable and um, broken. And I'm trying to put that back together be like, no, I'm, I'm a lovable. I'm also loved. And um I'm not perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. And so here are the things that I need to better understand about me and who I am before I would consider getting into a relationship with somebody else. And that for me is the biggest thing. And it's like, I'll be 42 in a couple of days. Like, damn, why did it take me so long? But date yourself. Date myself. Date yeah. yourself. I love that. Yeah. All right, my friend. I would love to know my last question is to the one person or many that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? You know, I think, I think this goes back to like the value add that we talked about with drinking. And I think that term, I could also add, I'll say to my relationship a little bit. So I've I've had some women come to me, you know, in a few of the sobriety circles I'm in who know my story and they're in sobriety and they're struggling in their marriages or their relationships. And, you know, the question comes up again, and Glennon has talked about this, right? Like Googling, like, should I stay? Like, how do I know? Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, you know, there's something to be said, like, like I said, marriage is hard. Life is hard work is hard, parenting is hard. But I think what we need to be asking ourselves in all the small ways and then in the big ways is like, 
what is the value add or what, you know, before you commit to something, like, why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. whether that's like serving on the PTO or, um, you know, taking your kids to a theme park or, um, you know, what color you're going to paint your room or what relationship you're in, like kind of like thinking like all things equal, is this a decision, an action, something I want to say that will bring value to my life or the, those around me. And, and part of that I think is really about erasing the shoulds as much as possible. I think we should on ourselves a lot. And I think we judge our feelings a lot, meaning like, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't complain about my marriage. Look at me. I have a house. He's a quote unquote loving husband on the surface, you know, like I shouldn't. And then I'm like, but I do, you know? So I think it's a combination of like looking at both being mindful of when the shoulds show up and trying to examine that and also the value add type of thing. And again, it goes back to that one day at a time kind of thing. Or like, if I have this drink, what's it really going to do for me? If, Mm -hmm. if, you know, even the people you surround yourself with friendships, social media, if you're scrolling through and you're not feeling good about yourself while you're doing it, why are you doing it? You don't have to. So I think for me, that's been a big one. And I think what I like about it is it can be really small. Um, and then I think over time, again, it's a muscle that you kind of start to, to flex. And sometimes circumstances are such that you have to do things you don't want to do. I, I mm-hmm. this is not all black and white. Um, but I think you have one life. And so if something's not serving you anymore and there is a way out of it, whether that's dinner with somebody you really don't want to go to dinner with, or if that's volunteering, like say no, you know, say no, you know, I don't know. Say, I think that should be your tagline. No. <laughs> no, no. Oh my gosh. This is one of those episodes I'm going to have to go back and listen to a few times, Catherine. Oh, it was so good. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, are you okay with me? sharing kind of your your instagram handle or anything if they want to get in touch yeah totally yeah i mean i'm on instagram personally and i started a sober um account and that i you know sporadically active with um but it's katherine.authentic.af um and we can put it in your your podcast notes too but yeah i'm happy to reach out and i mean honestly i'm i'm really uh you know, as I said, the divorce was final a few weeks ago. And part of me and my nature is like, what's next? What are we mm-hmm. gonna do next? You know, not like in a, you know, to-do list way, but just like, what's my next challenge opportunity. But I, I really have been thinking more about, do I want to get certified in sobriety coaching or something like that? Um, and so I'm starting to think about if there's a way that I can be of service. And mm-hmm. I've, you know, I do that informally now with, with many people. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram, maybe you'll see my travels and see what comes of that. Yeah. Well, you're doing an active service right here, just sharing everything that you shared. So thank you. I appreciate you. Well, thank you for this podcast. I love, I love the idea behind it. I love everything about it. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. Have a great day, hon. You too. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. 
It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.